Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And this week, we're hopping into an episode topic that is a direct piggyback off of last week's topic. Uh, it's a, an idea that's kind of been kicking around in John and I's head for a little while now, and it's a two-sided coin of a topic, if you will. And last week we covered the first side, now we're covering the second. Um, John, what exactly was last week's episode and how are we going to flip it on its head this time? So last week we talked about how to handle having like a, like a bottom tier or a weaker power army. Mm-hmm. And uh, this week we're going to talk more about having the opposite side of that spectrum. What happens when you have a very powerful army or a top tier army and how that affects like your play with your local group some things you can do about it how to recognize it is those kinds of things yeah and i feel like it it seems like i probably for people who are newer in the hobby it would seem like a topic that's not worth talking about because if you have a background in like video games or rts's or mobas or whatever you're into uh the idea of having something that is super 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 powerful like your faction being super super good is probably incredible you know it sounds like all gravy and everything's golden. Uh, but it's a little different here in this hobby. It, uh, it could come with some difficulties that you probably aren't used to if you're new to sort of the social gaming uh, environment or sphere. So I think it's it's worth talking about a little bit. Um, but before we dive too much into that, we're going to keep going with uh, the segment that we were asked to put in by one of the viewers. Uh, we're going to talk about Hobby time and games played. Uh, John, you want to go first? What have you been up to? Yeah, so uh, I've been working with our Twitter and following a couple different miniature painters. And there's this one guy who's been working on a lot of Beast of Chaos. And I keep seeing Beast of Chaos coming across my feed. And uh, you, the listeners, probably don't know this. I have a bunch of Beast of Chaos sitting in my closet that I haven't messed with in a long time. Mostly because their book's kind of like in a bad place. Uh, yeah, it uh, was in the last week episode territory for sure. Yeah, and like doing last week's episode kind of got me thinking about it again. Was like, man, I really like those little goat dudes. I might pull those out and start painting them. So I've started like pulling my stuff out, taking a look at it, see what's done, what's not done, and then I'm gonna start working on the piece of chaos and some escape and are mostly caught up, but I don't feel like buying a whole bunch of new models right now. So I'm gonna be working on that. Um gonna be working on Tau more, probably pick up like one or two kits maybe. Uh, and then also have spent a lot of time researching new games, uh, really researching Infinity. Oh, God, yeah. He got me hooked on the bug. I've also been digging into it, you metal mini-pedaling bastard. Yeah, and so I've, I've pretty much landed on playing Pan Oceana. Oceana. Uh, you know, kind of get into that, see how it works. Probably paint them up like Vaporwave and Fancy. Uh, yeah, and if you guys have any suggestions for other miniatures games, uh, go ahead and send them to us, tweet them at us, that kind of stuff, because we're looking at wanting to dive into games that aren't Warhammer. Everyone knows about Warhammer, but we want to dive into other stuff, and if you're interested in like learning about those games, uh, we can make episodes about them if that's something you're into. What about you? What are you working on, Joe? Uh, well, I've also been doing a little bit of uh, in- research into Infinity, because John has peddled it to me. Um, and I was, I was kind of like holding off. So I was able to hold it back. Like I saw a bunch of great reviews. It's like, mm, I don't need to play it. And then I like, I, uh, asked a question to the community and they were super responsive and nice. And I was like, ah, I don't need to play it. And then John went, Hey Joe, how do you like robot 
cyberpunk samurais and i was like oh lordy i like him a lot but i'm holding <laughs> out i know your um, type and then he sent me a link and he's like all right you need to check out this ariadna thing because they are essentially russian space rednecks with werewolves and machine guns and by fucking god ugh, got me you got me you had me at like crazy Russian redneck space werewolves. I'm done. I'm in. Whatever that is, whatever that is from here until the end of time, I'm in. So I've also been doing a little research on Infinity. It's a dense game to get into. Like I thought 40k was bad. I was wrong. Yes. Um, but I'm trying to slowly wrap my mind around those rules. Um, for games played, I also, uh, as I mentioned in, I think it was the last podcast, the one before, um, I've been running a Werewolf the Apocalypse game uh, for some friends during the quarantine online. Uh, they had told me that, you know, they'd never played Werewolf before, and it's my favorite setting of all time. So I felt obliged to run it for them, and it's been going really great. Uh, they seem to like it a whole lot, and uh, it seems like the story I'm telling is working for them. And actually, they begged me to go from one game every other week to one game per week because they didn't want to keep waiting in between games. So that's... You know, that's a good sign. And it's a yes. time like that during quarantine that I can accommodate it. So that was cool. Um, yeah, it's always good to hear like as a DM or storyteller, man, I like your stuff so much. I want to do more of it. Can I have more, please? Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of weird. I feel like during quarantine, my creative juices have been falling. So I've been DMing games for over a decade. So it was really weird when I went to run this one that I was kind of nervous. Like, I, I shouldn't be, like, I know this system, like, the back of my hand. I know all the lore and stuff. I, I could write story forever, but I was nervous, largely because, like, you know, you worry if you lost the creative knack. Um, it, it's also difficult for people like you and me, where we've both done tactile running. Like, we haven't done online running of games for the most part. I've done true. one Monster of the Week game, and it didn't last very long. And you, you're just now doing Werewolf, and, like, before we were running like LARPs at like in person where we can like go off of body language and stuff like that or doing it around a table and stuff like that where it's not entirely <laughs> devoid of that connection where I feel like online it's a lot harder to gauge someone's like vibe when you're telling them a story. Yeah, so it, it's a bit it definitely is uh, kind of a unique challenge to try to gauge how everybody's feeling about every little detail I put out there. Um, but, you know, it just means I have to work a little harder to kind of like lasso them up and pull them into a little group together and get them attached. But that's been a fun little distraction uh, from quarantine. Uh, I've also been doing some hobbying. People look up on Instagram. Uh, I've done some 3D printing and some converting to make up uh, some Blade Guard veterans for my salamanders, as well as a big old salamandified Redemptor Dreadnought, uh, and a uh, a Space Marine Medic, what do they call them? Apothecary? An Apothecary, yeah. Uh, to get some of those guys made up. Um, so I did a whole bunch of building on those, and last night uh, I actually did a bunch of painting on five of the Blade Guard vets and the Apothecary. So, uh, really trying to, like, put the hobby hammer down while I can. Um, I get these little, like, bursts of inspiration, and I'm trying to write it for as much as I can get out of it. Um, I got a buddy who just got his, like, he got his new death card book, and he's super excited to try it. So, I am trying to, like, paint up 
a one a middle of the road 1000 point salamander list as quickly as possible and all of that stuff is for it so i'm uh i've got a pretty good start so far i've got uh 10 intercessors painted i'll then have these five blade guard vets and uh the apothecary painted up i'm gonna move on to the redemptor after this and then i'll just have like a handful of models left after that and i should be at a thousand points which is awesome um i think that's good inspiration although john i i have a confession that i have not told you yet i have also been naughty i've i've done oh. a bad oh, what have you done i have done a bad john um so for people out there, originally I was going to sell John my beast. Uh, what are they? Beast Claw Raiders. Um, I got some and I like magnetized them all, and it was really very cool. I even started painting one most of the way through to look kind of like Timberwolves sort of deal and like Razorback boars. Uh, and then John was going to buy them, and recently John told me that he doesn't want to buy them anymore. Because he wants to focus on Beast of Chaos. And that, that's a good move. That's a good move. Uh, so then I was thinking about selling them to another friend. And I made the mistake of looking at the models. And reading the lore. And uh, now I'm considering just like taking what's left of the Beast Claw Raiders I have. And painting them up and making them an army. So we'll, we'll see where I land on that. I'm sure it'll change by the day. I mean, it's a it's a quick force. Not to mention, like now that they're combined with like the Ogre Kingdom stuff, there's a lot of play in there. Like as a faction, they have some issues, but flavor wise, I think it's something completely different from the other stuff you play. Because like your Lumineth are very like magic focused and kind of like regimental, and your Gloomspite gets are like I have a bazillion dudes, and then your Sylvanath are very tricksy. Ogres are none of those things. They're pure brute force, and they have very little models, and they just eat meat and chicken nuggets. So Yeah, I think Haywell put it best. It's an army about the fundamentals, because if you make a mistake, there's nothing to get you out of it. Yeah. Um, it's very straightforward. You know, you turn on your monster trucks, and you charge in. Uh, and I, sometimes I kind of like that a, l a little simpler, although I'm a dirty, dirty lore whore and I cannot be made to cross like the Beast Claw Raiders with the, the Ogre Maul tribes. Like I know the lore says like, yeah, they totally work together, but that's not what the lore said like a year ago. Yeah, but AOS lore and like 40k lore and old fantasy lore always is like adapting and changing and about how things work uh and i i think it's i think it makes more sense for them to be like cooperative to a degree but also have separate cultures like when when the time would come for them to combine for issues they would and that makes sense kind of like how chaos does or well, skaven do yeah, you would think that, but actually the book goes in great, great detail, even in the new lore of telling you about the civil war that they had and how awful it was for both sides and how they still hate each other to this day because the, what is it, the mullet maws or like gob mullets or whatever, blood maws went to battle with the boulder heads. And they still hate each other. And then immediately after telling you all that lore, they're like, yeah, but you can run them together. No, <laughs> no, I must stay true to the Lord. So I guess I'm just going to play like an all cavalry monster mash army, which to be honest, I don't hate it. I mean, yeah, it's still super cool. 
But civil wars don't mean anything. Us us here in Skavenland, we do civil wars like every Tuesday. It's we eat tacos and do a civil war every Tuesday. <laughs> oh, well, some things don't reproduce like a bunny on coke. So, you know, our civil wars mean a tad more. There were a lot of nuggies that lost their lives in that fight, John. It's a I mean, big deal. But yeah, the, generally the that's that's ride. that's kind of what I've been doing. Um so there's been a lot of hobbying going on, but still no gaming happening. I'm, 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 I long for the day when we could give this update and I can actually talk about, uh, like tabletop war games that we have played. Hopefully, I mean, it'll be soon because you're gonna be playing that game against Death Guard here soon. Hopefully, uh, maybe within the next month or two, that'd be pretty great. I'd at least have something to talk about here other than tabletop games, and I'm not sure folks are too into that. Uh, actually, for people out there listening, if you are into that, let us know. I mean. We're more than obviously very open to feedback here. And uh, knowing what folks are into helps us kind of def- decide how to chat about things moving forward. All right. Moving on to the important piece of this <laughs> important episode. Well, important's a relative term. Nothing we talk about is important. We are here to just be a hopefully chuckle-inducing distraction for, like, 45 minutes of your week. I don't know if I'd say it's important. But the wink-wink important part of the episode, John, what to do if you have a top-tier army? Yeah. So, to start off with, we kind of are going to do the same thing we did last episode, and that is, we gotta, like, define it, we gotta tell you what we mean by it, Let's like let's discuss... What is a top-tier army? And so what I think is a top-tier army is anything that, you know, you're going to see a ton about online. You're going to see it on Reddit. You're going to see it on Facebook groups, YouTube channels, all sorts of stuff, like comment threads, where people are going to be like, this army is broken. This army is the most powerful army, or it's got this specific combo in it that makes it super good. And it's oppressive. Recently, in 8th edition, I'm with Space Marines towards the end there. Nowadays, in ninth edition, it's kind of flipping around all over the place because new books are coming out all over the place. But that leads me into my second way of defining it. Whereas, like, right now, in ninth edition, you've got a lot of armies with a new ninth edition codex. It has a completely different flavor, completely different feel, a much higher power level than old eighth edition codexes. And so, with eighth edition codexes, they're underpowered. They're more like last episode. New codexes are more like this episode. And so you kind of got to take that into account to a degree. Uh, yeah. Stuff in AOS are similar, where you've got books that you know were updated four or five years ago. Uh, I actually don't think we have books that are that old. I think we, really? yeah, we've had a newer round of stuff. I think our oldest books are Sylvaneth and Gloopspike Gets, and I think they're only like two years old. I mean, I know Beast Chaos are older than two years old. Ah, their new book? I don't know. Yeah. I I'd do some Googling, but our sound guy would kick my ass, so I'm going to refrain. Yeah. But, but our yeah, point generally, is, is eventually... I think that's true. Yeah. Eventually, you kind of, like, fall behind, and sometimes you get a new book, and it's got a whole bunch of busted stuff in it. Um, oh, yeah. You literally could become, like, the strongest army in the game overnight with one yeah. book release. And, like Joe was saying, that can be a great thing. It'll feel great as a player, especially if you're a competitive player. If you're a competitive player and your army is now competitively viable, that's awesome. But we're going to assume we're talking about this from a casual perspective, like at your local meta, you're playing with your buds, and you're just having good games. That's what this episode's about. 
because if you have a very powerful top tier army and you play competitively, you're already set. You're, you're doing the game the way you want to do the game. That isn't necessarily conducive to a good, casual, fun environment to play the game. Yeah, in fact, it could be be directly damaging to the casual, fun environment that you might be used to and like. Um, yeah, I'm going to make the same assumption that John made because, well, what are we on episode like 13 or 14 now? We lost the competitive players like 12 episodes ago. Um, so for us casual folks, we're generally not after just winning. You know, it. we don't often play with money on the line or, you know, these sort of tournament rankings that might matter for stuff like sponsorships or uh, paint commissions or things like that. We're, generally speaking, the casual player is playing to have fun. And that's really what most folks are looking for. If you walk into, like, a friendly local gaming store or people playing in a basement or a garage, they're probably just looking to have some fun and relax a little bit in their downtime. And that's a very particular environment where if you come in swinging this giant bat of a new book, very competitive army you could really hurt the vibe. <laughs> you you could really ruin a weekend. Yeah, and, and I'll use that to kind of move to the, our next topic about how does this affect you as a player. And how, how it affects you as a player is if you have a very powerful army, and even if you're newer to the game or you've been playing for a while and you're playing against somebody who does not is not aware of how powerful your army is or is not trying to play a crunchy, hard, competitive game you could give them a really bad time and you might get a bad reputation that people might not want to play you. Um, you know, stuff like that. You can become the air quotes, that guy at a game store. Not to say there's anything wrong with playing top tier armies. This is, we're trying to explain the opposite and there's nothing wrong with playing competitively. Uh, me and our friend Seth, I play competitively with him with armies all the time on purpose because it's a kind of game we like playing together but we know we like playing that together. I don't do that with someone like Joe, who likes to play casually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, about having that sort of social contract conversation before you really get into that, to know which, if they really want you to come in tuned to the nines. Yeah, and so when you have a top-tier army, you might be getting some sort of passive, like, passive aggression from other players, uh... It happens with Space Marine players where you might, like, I, I remember when Na Knights first came out, right? Way back, I think it was 6th edition or 7th edition, when Knights came out. Anybody who bought and played a Knight Army at the time were getting, like, bad looks and people didn't want to play them because everyone saw it as super broken and not fun. But there were ways to play that army in a way that didn't break the game. It didn't make the game not fun for everyone. Yeah. Same thing with Space Marines recently. The new Mortarion rules for Death Guard the same way. Um, Ozark Bone Reapers back in Age of Sigmar. Like, there's always ways to play the game differently. But the first step is recognizing if you have a very powerful list or a very powerful army or maybe one of your favorite units is very powerful and how to adjust to kind of be able to play the game with other people and not be mad. Yeah, um, I could actually speak to some of that because I have been on the receiving end. So 
when I got into this, it was an eighth edition, so knights were kind of new. And I love big stompy robots. I just, I do, for the love of God, I love big giant robots. So I saw these knight models, and I was so intrigued by who would pilot these things and what the lore is. And then I learned the lore, and I was even more intrigued. And I really wanted to buy and run an all-night army. Not like a weird soup list. I wanted all nights, dang it. And I was talked out of it by a number of people. Because no one would play me if I got them. Um, and which is kind of a shame because I had this idea in my head for these, this homebrew group of knights called the Onion Knights who actually, uh, weren't trained household knight pilots. Uh, the, in the lore, uh, you have a trained noble pilot would like sit in this chair and his, uh, brain will drift with the chair and the thoughts of all of those previous knights will kind of invade his head. And if you don't go insane, you're now a pilot. Um, but I loved the idea of knights that went down in a battle and the pilots died. And then the local yahoos climbed in the cockpit and survived drifting with it. And now these nobodies are being guided by these no long dead nobles who are teaching them how to pilot these knights. So I was going to paint them all like uh, chrome and primer with like pieces of board covering holes and rope ladders to get up in there and really like junkify them up. Uh, but all of that lore and all of that passion, just not enough to get over the fact that I would have got a reputation as that guy if I bought this army and did all that. So I, I passed it up. Um, and I, I think that's kind of a shame. And if you're out there and you're playing a very powerful faction, uh, don't quit because, like, don't stop yourself from doing something or quit playing the army because you're powerful. Uh, have a conversation with people around you. Like, don't. And if you're one of those people who shames people for playing very powerful armies, um, maybe have a conversation with them. Don't do it just because they play the army. It shades are it's probably because of the behavior, not because of, like, they're playing Space Marines. Like, some people just like playing certain stuff because aesthetically it's fun for them. And I'm sure there's some sort of solution that can be have found there if you work through the social contract together. Yeah, which we'll get to in, uh, a, in a little bit talking about what you could do about it. But at the time, I really did, like, I was new to the game. I didn't know anything about, like, the social contract or yeah. how to work through some of this. Um, so I turned it down. When, honestly, looking back, I could probably, right now, I could buy a full knight's army. I'd get my ass whooped. <laughs> All right, the new uh, plan for this episode is to convince Joe to start a knight's arm army by the end of this. Ugh, don't start with me, Jonathan. Do not start with me! We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like, it, there are ways around it. And I, I definitely would never want anyone to be turned away from whatever army they're super into just because it's really powerful right now. Because let me go ahead and tell you, that power is temporary. Like... It's, <laughs> it's not going to stay forever. New books are going to drop. Everything else is going to get way better. And you're going to go back down to the middle just where you want to be in a little bit of time. Um, you really just kind of have to have some coping strategies on how to ride it out in the meantime. Which I think is the important part. Like, how do you actually compensate for having this? Um, so I think the first, as John and I have kind of alluded to, is... You might want to tone down your lists a little. 
if you are playing a really strong army in a casual environment. Intentionally so. Um, if your army has a couple of units that are really, really just pulling their weight above what they should be, maybe don't bring those, or don't bring very many of them. Or, yeah. you know, maybe leave out a few combos. But that might help your force to feel a little less painful when someone plays against you. Yeah, like generally when an army's super busted, you can kind of look online and see, like, if you've noticed something's really strong and you've made a combo, it's probably online as well. And you, when you figure out how these things work, you can take pieces of those combos away to make something really that's really fun that you like playable at a lower tier of people. And so maybe taking away that support character or that spell or that thing so that you can play the stuff you want to play is very, very efficient for being able to actually play the game with people. And that, that kind of leads me to look up why it's broken. Like try to, try to find out why this army is dominating. Why is it doing so well? And how can you counteract that? Um, or maybe look at it like an opportunity. Like, if you're playing a very powerful faction that's got just general, overall, really good rules, maybe use that as an opportunity to take some of the lesser power, like, lesser efficient things in the book and bring them. Yep. Uh, make some stuff that you really like that's kind of janky, uh, bring it, and it'll be functional, it'll work, but it'll be more fun. Like, it'll be kind of a plan around yeah. kind of deal. Uh, and I've actually, I've felt this one myself. So my bud Jake, who, you know, is a Death Guard player, uh, he's the one I was talking about earlier. He also is really into Aussie Arc Bone Reapers. And when the models were revealed long before even a single rule was talked about on the wind, he was super into Aussie Arc Bone Reapers. You know, he really wanted this army. And, you know, he put in his pre-order for like the box release and got a whole bunch of stuff ordered. And then the army turned out to be... Very strong. Very, very, very strong. In particular, one sub-faction was very strong. Because the way Age of Sigmar works is oftentimes you will get an army and it is Ossiarch Bone Reapers. But then you get to pick a very specific sub-faction that gives your army extra rules. So, in that instance, his rules for that sub-faction, for one of the sub-factions, were... Very strong, very, very strong with very few weaknesses and playing against it in our casual group, there was nothing to be done about it. Absolutely nothing to be done about it. So in kind of understanding that the problem was largely rooted in that one sub faction, he just didn't play that sub faction. He just, he picked a different one that he thought was also cool and then made that one work. And sure enough, his army went from like, incredibly unbeatable well i shouldn't say unbeatable one of our friends also played zinch and then the new zinch book came out which was even more busted than the osiarch bone reapers army you, you people who play aos you know what i'm talking about um but for us peasants without the new books um when he switched off from that sub faction his army was just then very good but playable like we have a chance. I, there are weaknesses to exploit. We could all still have fun. Um, and all that took was a conversation and him kind of Googling around to go, oh, so it's pretty much all tied to this one thing. And sure enough, still playing Ossiarch Bone Reapers even now. Yeah. Um, 
And it would be a shame if that if we didn't do that. Instead, just kind of like boo-hooed him until he sold the force. Like, that would suck. Yeah, like that's not a lot of fun. And that kind of that brings me to another point is, like, have a conversation with your playgroup. If you're playing something broken, like, say you want to bring Mortarion, and right now Mortarion's crazy, and he's super good in Death Card, and you want to build this super cool list where you bring a bunch of, a bunch of Death Card, maybe write up a narrative scenario with the guys that you're going to play with, uh, and write it in a way where you kind of handicap yourself because you're bringing a very powerful model with a very powerful list, and maybe they don't have the answers to it, and kind of change things up. Like, make it a narrative-focused game so you can play with the stuff you want to play with, um... Like, I play Beasts of Chaos, right, for AOS. For anyone who knows uh, about Beasts of Chaos, they're not in a great place. Uh, they're probably one of the worst books. Yeah, sadly. And so I'm never going to go to a game expecting to, to win, but I'm going to go to a game expecting to have fun. And I think a lot of people who play the game prefer that. Um, it isn't about winning, it's about having fun. And so take that into account. Like, try to create a fun environment to play with other people with your list and with their bringing and don't come at it from a sense of like well you lowly peasants without your fancy codex like give like have a serious conversation with them be like i just want to make sure you're gonna have fun in this game like i don't want you to feel like it's the rules are making this game unfun for you and alternatively if that doesn't necessarily work for you that isn't like get you motivated Find a friend, like I have a friend, Seth, where I know that I can go to Seth and be like, I want to play a busted competitive game where we're going to kind of glare at each other from across the table for like three hours. Uh, and we can do that. And I've got a friend who I will play very tough competitive style games with. And uh, you can find that too. Like, like you can do that for playing that big powerful list if you really need to like get, the, get those models on the table and roll those dice in a competitive way. You can do that. Yeah, and I think especially in terms of like having a conversation, it will help with one of the things John mentioned earlier that could become a problem if you're playing one of these uh, like boogeymen armies, as I would call them. Uh, as he said, you might end up with a reputation for being that guy if you aren't careful. Uh, and one of the ways you could do that is to have that conversation. It, it's going to help you to not come off as a jerk, but instead as somebody who just really likes an army that happens to be good. And that will help with that reputation. Um, and also another very important point to preserve that like good reputation is to be aware of your rules. Because if you're playing a boogeyman army and you accidentally overplay something or overreach something, it will not look good. Yeah, if you like accidentally re-roll everything when you're only supposed to re-roll once because you misread, misread a rule, and they know your faction's broken, and they hear that, like, well, wow, you get to do just everything. Like, people might get frustrated by that, and that's that's okay for them to get frustrated. Um, but if it was genuinely a mistake, it's genuinely a mistake. Mm -hmm. And if you know ahead of time, you can prevent those kinds of situations. And if you make a mistake like that in the middle of a game, whether you're a broken army or not a broken army, you can... These aren't tournaments. You can go back and fix it. You can just go, oh, my bad. I'll just re-roll that whole shooting. Yeah. I, I cannot think of a time where John and I haven't been able to just, like, rewind the clock and make something right. Yeah, it, it's pretty easy to do. You can generally do it. If it's too far in the game, you're like, 
man, I just realized this thing happened and it would drastically change the game. Well, then, then have a conversation with them about like, hey, man, I totally messed up. That's my bad. Uh, can't really go back. Uh, how can we rectify this? You know, we, we've done that before. Very rarely. It was a one-time thing where, like, I forgot a rule. And, like, we were two turns later. And it would have drastically changed the game in, like, your favor. Like, I had accidentally screwed you over. I was like, yeah, I super messed up there. I'm just going to go ahead and take this unit, this unit, off the table. Uh, that, does that feel more fair to you? And you were like, uh, yeah. Yeah, that works. Yeah, I think it was when we were playing early 8th. Uh, you thought that... Uh something re-rolled all wounds instead of like re-roll ones um and you know it was a thing when we had gone long ways ahead and just kept playing but it wasn't a big deal because again money's not on the line it's okay it's we're we're here having an agreement between gentle folk um you just work it out but and i think normally that's not too hard for players like casual folks are used to it but i have but sometimes if you're playing a boogeyman army people are less patient so you know you just got to do your studying beforehand yeah and, and another thing is don't don't gotcha your your opponent yeah that's um, a big one explain what your stuff does even if they're doing their moves like if you're if you're playing with your buddy and you say your buddy is moving all of his units to shoot a, a knight at a very specific, like all they want to gun down one knight, and they don't know that you have rotate ion shields as a stratagem. Maybe let them know uh, I have rotate ion shields as a stratagem, and that might kind of mess with your plan. Uh, that that might make what you're doing not exactly what you want to do. Letting them know that will let them have the information to make better decisions to make sure they can do something. It also gets you good points if you're playing a very powerful faction and you're very open and clear with what you can and cannot do. Uh, yep. It just makes for a better game. It makes you look like a good person. Because um, there are, are a lot of things you could do that really could bone your opponent over that they didn't even know you could do. Because it is a rule that goes against the normal rules of the game. You know, you might be able to counter charge them in their charge phase before they get to charge and if they don't know that's a thing well you might just wreck them in their turn on their charge phase yeah and that's like moments like those are very jarring and that's where people get bad feelings that's where people like get resentment that's where people like oh well that guy screwed me over like i and then they'll judge that whole faction for it it's happened so much with tau like tau is an example of a faction that used to be very very powerful in sixth edition seventh edition eighth edition they were all strong at different points and the the mechanics that they played with competitively were not fun to play against or with most of the time and so when people played those lists or those things People didn't have a fun time, so they just kind of attributed all Tau players to being these win-at-all-costs bad guys. All of them are going to drone spam with their tides. All of them are going to bring this, like, unshootable castle, like, unmovable, just, wall of drones. Well, no. And because people didn't actively do something about preventing that, a lot of people are out there with like, I'll never play Tau again. Like I'll never play against a Tau again. And that, that kind of sucks. That does suck. So maybe don't contribute to that problem. <laughs> yeah. 
For sure. Like, it is, as I have said before on the podcast, there's a saying that you got to get your own house in order first. And if you are playing a faction, you have to try to be a good ambassador for that faction because it's your faction. Um, And uh, I think that's, you know, it's good for all of us. But even if, you know, we give you all this advice and all of these options that you could put forward and all of these ways you could kind of compensate for your force becoming very, very strong, maybe because you got new a couple of new units, maybe because you got a new book, uh, but for whatever reason, your army is just really strong and you, despite everything else you're doing, you just cannot play it in your casual group without ruining everybody's day. There is the nuclear option. It's the same nuclear option as we talked about in the last episode with the low-tier army. You can always just wait it out. Yeah, you can just wait to see what happens with your rules. Um, just they'll, Eventually, additions change. Other books come out. Other people get uh, gets updates. You can play the faction later. Uh, I've seen it happen with stuff in ninth. Like I, we, like there's guys who are ready to play stuff like Blood Angels or Space Wolves or Dark Angels, but the only people they can play against are like a Dark Eldar player, a Tyranid player, a Tau player, a Gene Sealer Colts player, okay, Lion Imperial Guard player. Okay, well those codexes kind of don't stand up to these other ones on a fun level. Like competitively there might be some options, but I mean let's be honest, casual games, people are gonna bring non like tuned up stuff. They're going to struggle a little bit. And so they're just going to wait. They're going to play another force. They're going to maybe start a new game. Maybe start a crusade campaign with a new bunch of dudes they want to play. Yeah. Um, as we kind of mentioned earlier, these books are not eternal. Games Workshop makes a lot of money selling new books. So it behooves them to keep publishing new books. Yeah. And that means that in time, gonna... the current one is going to disappear. And if something's, like, super broken, or if it's very, like, gamey, like it's uh, non-intentionally broken, like a combo or something, most of the time an FAQ is going to come out pretty soon to, to fix it anyways, or tone it down to some degree. So, yeah. If it doesn't you're, take long. If you're kind of looking at a rule and you're like, uh, does that work that way? And you think it probably shouldn't work that way, but it might. It probably shouldn't work that way, and an FAQ will likely close that hole eventually. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's generally how it goes down. But, you know, there's no shame if you want to, like, put them on the shelf for a little while and wait for things to cool off. I ain't going to shame you for it. You do what you got to do, especially if you got a second faction to keep playing. No shame in it. Because um, right now, this is sort of a, at least for 40k players, it is a, it is a time of haves and have-nots. It's a very strange time. Yeah, and it kind of, you know, it stings a little. It ain't good. It really, I said it in the last episode, but it's kind of the thing I dislike the most about this hobby is that, man, it is very, very top tier, very, very low tier when they're putting out new books like this. Um, But I hope that in the near future, we will get to a day where we aren't having this conversation with the same level of difference between the top and bottom tier armies. Um, It'll likely even out a lot more. Uh, We'll see. I think it's also partially a problem with uh, 
just the way people are playing games nowadays as opposed to back when. So I remember playing this game when there wasn't like a ton of YouTube videos about it. There wasn't Twitch streams of games. There wasn't like an online database of every list that's ever been taken in a tournament. I remember you might be lucky to find something on like a Daka Daka forum about a list someone took in like Las Vegas. <laughs> and it's a lot different now. Uh, it's a lot more visible. There's a lot more people talking about it. So it kind of makes the game gravitate towards certain things. The meta is a lot easier to figure out. It's a lot different than before. Where you could kind of just take whatever and your buddy might be like, Whoa, I didn't realize that could do that. Could do that. It, that's much less likely now. Everyone kind of knows generally what everything else does. Yeah, at least an idea of it. And as like and as these books keep coming out, you're going to see some similarities between them, and it's just going to help to smooth things over. And eventually, the army you sidelined is probably going to come back out to where you could play it. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe you sideline the army long enough for your buddy to also get a busted codex, and you two can just play busted codexes against one another and see who's, the, you know, the more powerful one and cackle evilly. Now that's the good stuff. That's like 10 out of 10. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait for the day. Tyranids versus World Eaters, John. It's coming. It'll be amazing. It's going to be Thunderdome. Don't you take this from me. GW, give me a World Eaters Codex. If you're listening, I know you're not. I'm hoping you are because I really want a World Eaters Codex. <laughs> and I, I just... I like bugs. <laughs> give me a good Tyranid Codex, please. I beg of thee. Watch, like, the new Tyranid Codex is going to come out. It's going to be super good, but all of the big bugs will be completely garbage, and you'll be real mad. Ugh, I will cry. I will weep giant manly tears. Ugh. Well, the good news is uh, that if they destroy all your big bugs, and you can't play big bugs, you could play big robots. John, don't you start with me. Hey, listen, all I'm saying is that by the end of the episode, I wanted to get you to sign on to making an Imperial Knights army, it's gonna, so you need big robots. It's going to take more than one recording session of peer pressure, John. It's it's going to take public media peer pressure to make me do that big of a project. Well, you heard that, everybody. You need to bully Joe into buying an Imperial Knights army. <laughs> and if you want to bully me, you can find us on social media. What a segue. Look at you. You're I'm a, a professional. I'm a pro podcaster. <laughs> Some may say I'm an influencer. <laughs> I, no one says that. That's true. Literally <laughs> nobody has said that. I made that joke to my lady, uh, I think, last week, and the eye roll damn near killed me, y'all. It's a miracle that I am here to record this. Um, true. But... Yeah, again, as we have to plug it, as we've been told it helps, uh, we are on social media. I'm really active on the Instagram with hobby progress and updates. John is over there working on tweeting and tweeters and twits. Um, and I also... Like you said that. I don't like any of the way you <laughs> said that. <laughs> I don't internet, John. Don't you come at me. Um, and also, TikTok, that's a thing. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how I want to do this. Um, it's a very interesting concept. Uh, I want to do one-minute on lore videos. That's where I'm at. That That's what I'm feeling. I think that'll be pretty good. That'd be great. Uh, but also, um, for people out there listening in podcast land, uh, if you could uh, leave a review of the podcast, it seems like that helps a whole lot, and we'd appreciate it. Um, and I wouldn't... 
we're just a, a podcast this small. Any little bit helps. So we really appreciate any help that you can give us to get over that line. Yeah, we're we're trying to get more people to come and listen to us and enjoy this. And hopefully we can make content that they like. If they don't like want to listen to the podcast, they can come li- like read our tweets or look at our Instagram posts or watch our TikToks. Uh, we've talked about maybe in the future doing some like streaming of some degree, um, like with games adjacent to this hobby or just us talking or painting or whatever. If people are into that, it's something we can do all as well. Uh, kind of open to doing whatever if you want to see it and hear it yeah anything that's community based it kind of keeps people uh keeps the hobby fires burning uh we're down to help out for and in the meantime we're going to keep working on new episodes and new ideas to try to keep the content coming out for all of you guys but i think for now that's all we had planned for this episode but don't you worry we have a couple of really fun episodes coming up on the docket and we'll get to record them as soon as we can But for now, that's been all of our opinions, bona fide Kentucky Fried. We'll see y'all next time.